Three weeks ago in our study of Acts, we moved to a section of 48 verses, in fact, chapter 10, uh, that I told you needed to be looked at together, that God was doing something uh, tremendous in the account of these 48 verses, that God was revealing some very uh, profound truths to us in the account of these 48 verses, and that actually all 48 verses were necessary. All 48 verses are tied together, and to really see the marvelous thing that God is revealing, we need to look at all 48 verses together. Well, if you remember, I also told you in the interest of time, uh, we'd have to break it up. I wanted to do it all at one time, but in the interest of time, we'd have to break it up and that we would study it as a whole, that we would look at the entirety of it, but that we'd have to do it in at least two weeks. Uh, for some reason, y'all won't stay here for two or three hours. I was hoping that you would. Well, today I want to tell you what I would like to do in one week and what I thought we could do in two weeks uh, is actually going to take four weeks, this week and next week uh, as well. But that's going to be okay as we look at our verses. And so uh, we're going to continue this morning. We're going to move along. We're looking at the same set of 48 verses. Today we're looking at chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. We're almost going to get there. Chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Our sermon is entitled today, The Main Thing. The Main Thing. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 10, beginning in the 34th verse. <clears throat> Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by evil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he would become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one whom has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful for you. We're thankful for our Savior. We're thankful for our tremendous, gracious salvation. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that we have been redeemed of, of no work of our own, not of anything we can muster up, but in your grace and in your kindness and in the finished work of the cross. Lord, I, I pray now thanking you for your word. And I pray that you speak through it. I pray that this morning it would not just be a lecture. It would not just be the 
passing on of information, but that you would truly speak today. You tell us your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so I pray that it would bear fruit today, that it would bear an impact in our hearts and minds today. Lord, I pray that this time is a supernatural event. Lord, I pray for one, maybe several in this room that do not know you. I pray that on this very day, in the preaching of the gospel, and the hearing of the good news, that they might be saved this day. Lord, we want to give you this whole thing as an act of worship. We want to hold up and exalt the name of our Savior, our Lord, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, if you look around and, and survey the, the scene, uh, church life is an interesting thing. My daughter's away at school, and she's trying to find a church. She's thinking about churches and evaluating churches. And as, as you watch what she is seeing and you watch what's around us today, uh, you see that church life today is an interesting thing. We see today churches, all sorts of churches, taking up all sorts of causes. We see all sorts of churches doing all sorts of things. And everywhere you look, even here in our own town, you're going to find all sorts of churches doing all sorts of things. Well, as I, as I watch that, as I see what is happening, it's almost like the church is evolving or is in the process of evolving. It's also like the, the church is trying to seek and to find how it is going to fit in to the culture today. And that's what it appears, that the, the church is trying to see how they're, going to, how they're going to match the world today. I've told you this before, but it is not uncommon. In fact, I've talked to three churches that did this. It is not uncommon for a church today to survey its community, asking them, what do you want in a church? And maybe they go to door to door in the neighborhood around their facility. And maybe they mail out a card. Maybe they do a phone survey. But they survey the community asking them, what is it that you would appreciate? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you want in a church? And then they go back somewhere and they decide how they're going to match that and how they can serve the community. Well, last week in our study, we saw that the church is special it's unlike any other thing. It is special and that it is supernatural. It is not normal. It is, it is supernatural. We saw those two things. Well, this week, we're going to see the reason that the church is special, unlike any other institution, the reason that the church is supernatural is because of the main thing in the church. Now listen, that's an exciting thing. We're going to see why we're different. We're going to see why we're special. We're going to see why the church is supernatural because today in these verses, we're going to see the main thing in the church. Now hear me, listen very carefully. I'm about to give away uh, the whole sermon in one line. The main thing in the church is the sure, straightforward, solid preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the main thing in the church. And let me just tell you something, folks. We do not need to take a survey. We do not need a committee's approval. The main thing in the church is the preaching of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that marvelously in our verses today. The main thing in the church, why it is supernatural, why it is special, what the world can't duplicate is the sure, solid, steadfast preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember in our progression through these verses, Peter has had the vision. He, he has met up with Cornelius' delegation. Cornelius has had a vision. And Peter and, and the delegation of seven uh, with him have made their way to Caesarea. Uh, in the account, they have made their way. They've met Cornelius, and now they have entered into this room. In the room, he finds Cornelius, and he finds to his surprise Cornelius' family, his friends, his neighbors, all those folks that Cornelius loved and had an interest in, they are all there. He walks, Peter walks in the room, and there are these many Gentiles there waiting to hear, the Bible says, the message that God had commanded Peter to deliver. Let me read verse 33 again. <coughs> Cornelius is speaking, and he says, So I sent for you immediately. And you have been kind enough to come. Now then, here's the setup. Now then, we are all here, present before God, the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now they are, they are there, this room full of folks, they are listening they are leaning in in anticipation. They are there. God has a message for them, and they believe that. And so now they are listening, waiting in anticipation. Now, before we read the next set of verses, I want you to think about this crew of folks. Here are these Gentile folks. You know what? They've been held off by the Jewish people. If, if they walked and looked over them, that would have been a nice thing, but maybe they spit in their direction. Maybe they called them less than a dog. Here, here are these folks more than that, and they need a Savior. They, they are sinners who are separated from God. They are lost. Here they are gathered in the room, and I want you to understand the, the crew of these people, the totality of them, all of them, they need a Savior. And so here they are assembled, and they're looking for the message that Peter's going to deliver, and they need a Savior. Here they are lost separated from God, in need of a Savior. All right, here we go to our verses today. Opening his mouth, Peter said. I want to stop right there already. And I want you to be sure, and I want us to be sure as the church to see this this morning. The room is assembled. The, the room is looking. The room is listening. And the Bible says, Opening his mouth, Peter said. I want us to not miss this morning the centrality of the preaching of the word of God. Man, this is huge. And I told you in these 48 verses, we're going to see some profound things. But I want you to see this morning already in just that little, that little set of words, I want us to see the centrality of the preaching of the word of God. These people are lost these people are in need of a Savior. And the Bible says, and Peter opens his mouth and preaches. 
Friend, I want you to be understand today. I want you to be certain today. The church, read the account of the book of Acts, and you'll find the church was built on preaching. You'll see that the church was moved forward in preaching. The church was led along its course in preaching. The church was added to even daily by faithful preaching. It was not by social causes. It was not by good works and deeds. It was not in some popular movement. It is in the faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the church moves forward. Listen, preaching is paramount in the church. Preaching is primary in the church. Preaching is central in the church of Jesus Christ. Today, the world doesn't like that. In fact, I'll just be honest with you today. In fact, the church is not even sure that it likes that. You see, what we want, we want, we want a bunch of administrators. We want a bunch of program directors. Put in all the things that we need. We want a bunch of counselors. Tell us, listen to all the stuff and, and, and tell us what to do from here. We want a bunch of counselors. And yet we see already in this account, looking for a savior, Peter walks in and he opens his mouth and we see the centrality of the preaching of the word of God. Listen, the church today has to be a preaching church. The main thing in the church has to be a preaching message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The verse says, and Peter opens his mouth and says, Verses 34 and 35 together now. I'll finish that verse. <clears throat> Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and, done what, and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, that statement is a big deal to the speaker. It's a big deal to Peter. And it is a big deal to those that are listening, that are hearing the message to these Gentiles. Notice there, Peter says, I now understand. Now that means that previously he thought differently. It means that, that previously he did not understand. And so he walks in and he says, I now understand. Now his message is this, God is not one to show partiality. I now understand, I now see God is not one to show partiality. Now, that word for, for showing partiality translates, he is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. Now, in, in its most literal translation, it means that he does not look at a person's appearance or a person's circumstances. Now listen, I want you to hear this. God does not look at a person's appearance or their circumstances. He does not care if they are rich or if they are poor. He does not care if they are educated or if they are uneducated. He doesn't care if they're esteemed by the world or if they're unesteemed by the world. He doesn't care if the world values them and lifts them up or he doesn't care if the world holds them down. He is no respecter of persons. He's not one to show partiality. Verse 35 says, of any nation. Now, this was a mind-boggling thing for them, of any nation. You see, they thought only the Jews could be God's people. Only the Jews could be saved. It says any nation, any group, any people. 
And with these folks here that needed salvation, yet that they weren't Jews, Peter launches off telling them the good news. Do you know how that must have sounded to them? Do you know how that must have sounded to them? Here they are, and they've been mistreated, and they've been held off, and they don't know what the plan of God is for them, and yet they come in, and the first thing they hear out of, out of Peter's mouth is God is no respecter of persons. That must have been great news to them. Folks, we need to be very sure today. And man, it's being distorted, especially in 2020. We need to be very sure. Our God is not a bigot. Our God is not a bigot. And I want to tell you today, and I, want to, I, I wish I could say it louder. I wish I had a megaphone up here, but I want to say it as loud as I can. And his salvation and his grace is offered to all people. Our God is not a bigot, and his grace and his salvation is offered to all people. For John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever whosoever believes in him, that's what this verse is going to say, shall not perish. God is not a bigot. His grace is for all sinners. And any person that turns to Jesus Christ by faith shall be, will be, is saved. Let me tell you a dangerous movement. A dangerous, dangerous movement is saying that God does not choose some people to be saved. And I, you say, well, I, is that a growing movement? That's a growing movement, especially in our denomination. A dangerous movement is saying that God does not choose some people to be saved. A dangerous movement is saying that he built some people to live and to die and to go to hell, to suffer there in the hell for eternity and they have no other option. What he built them to do to his glory, they will do and they will die and go to hell. Let me tell you, friend, that is a dangerous movement. The Bible says God is not a bigot. So Peter comes in and he has all of his, their eyes. And the first thing he starts is he says, you know, I'm going to tell you good news. God is not a respecter of people. I'm going to tell you good news. His salvation is for all people, all nations. And I can imagine their hearts begin to cheer and their minds begin to smile and their ears begin to perk up. And then he launches into the good news. Verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel Preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The main thing is the preaching of the gospel. Now, the main thing of the main thing is the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going we're to move along through this. Listen very carefully. The main thing is the preaching of the gospel. And the main thing of the main thing is the person of, of Jesus Christ. Very simply, the message of the gospel is there is peace through Jesus. He is Lord of all. What a genius way to sum up our gospel. The message of the gospel is there is peace through Jesus and he is Lord of all. 
Very simply, Jesus Christ is the message of the church. Very sadly today, today the primary preaching subject that I hear, and I hear it and you can listen, it's, it's everywhere in churches and you can listen on the internet and you can listen on TV and the radio. The primary preaching subject that I hear is that we are the subject of the church, is that we are the focus of the sermon. We are the focus of the message. And you listen today and, and you'll hear all sorts of nonsense and they may say the name of Jesus and they may have pulled some verses out and adapted them, but you hear sermons today and the sermon is all about us. The sermon's all about what we want. The sermon's all about our needs and the sermon's all about how God can serve us. And sermon after sermon, listen today, foolish goofball preacher after goofball preacher, the focus of the message is us. Today we exist in the gospel of me. And you wonder why churches are powerless. You wonder why people aren't getting saved. You wonder why folks are looking for hope and they can't find it in the church. You wanna know why a virus sets in and everybody scrambles around looking for answers but they don't look to the church. It's because when you go to the church and you open the door, the gospel that's coming out of the pulpit is the gospel of me and there is no power in the gospel of me. Paul said what? We preach Christ and him crucified. He wasn't delusional. He knew the message. Peter says here, we preach peace through Jesus. He alone is Lord. The main thing is preaching. And the main thing of the main thing is Jesus. Peter continues and he unfolds the gospel. He unfolds the good news. Verse 37. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. Verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now I want you to notice something in, in the story so far. It says, anointed him. It means marked of God, the one marked of God. Now that is clearly referring to the Messiah. But notice here, he doesn't use the words that the Jews would have understood of this Gentile audience. He says the one that is anointed of God. He uses words that they can understand. Says that he was marked by the Holy Spirit. That was at his birth. That also starts with his baptism. He refers to the many miracles that he had done in his ministry, all those miracles that were confirming that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ sent of God. Now, I want you to notice something in these verses. Notice this. He is specific, <coughs> and he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. He is specific. What that means is it matters. It is this particular Jesus. It is this specific Jesus. Which Jesus? Jesus that came from Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene. It is specific to this one. Peace is found, listen, exclusively in this Jesus. Now let me say something in, 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 our, day, in our day today, our world today. It absolutely matters that we get Jesus right. 
Some folks say, well, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, the Mormons have a version of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they have an understanding of Jesus. Islam, they have an understanding of Jesus. And, and folks will say, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, in our age of tolerance today, in our age of acclaiming diversity today, in our age of relativism today, not wanting to say that anything is wrong, folks say, well, it doesn't have to be that narrow, does it? We shouldn't be so quick to dismiss other views of Jesus, should we? I once had a seminary professor, and he actually said, well, Jesus can reveal himself however he wants. And maybe he wants to reveal himself through Islam. Folks, I want you to hear this today. It matters today that we get Jesus right. It matters today that we get Jesus right. Because listen very carefully. If we miss that Jesus, we miss salvation. Oh, I grabbed a hold of a Jesus. Oh, they were singing the songs all about that Jesus, but it was the wrong Jesus. Listen, if we miss that Jesus, we miss salvation, and that is the plan of Satan. He's no dummy. He dumps 10 Jesuses on us. He puts all sorts of mistruths about Jesus out there. If we miss that Jesus, we miss salvation. Earlier in the book of Acts, it says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name given among men by which we must be saved, but the name, listen, of Jesus, it is this Jesus. It matters that we get Jesus right. Well, Dad, you're going to hurt some folks' feelings. Listen, not as bad as if they go to hell outside of the right Jesus. It matters that we get Jesus right. Verse 39. <clears throat> we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Verse 40. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Verse 41. Not to all the people but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now, wow, <laughs> those three verses are loaded up. I told, you, I told you all 48 verses were loaded up. These are deep verses. These three verses are loaded up. We may need two more weeks just to look at these three verses. The main thing is the preaching of the gospel. The main thing of the main thing is Jesus, the specific Jesus. Stay with me. The main thing of the main thing of the main thing is his death for sinners as the sacrificial lamb of God, his burial actually physically dead, and his resurrection, he lives again all for the redemption of sinners. Today, if you were to ask folks, what is the gospel? And I, and I encourage you to try it, go around and say, what is the gospel? You're going to hear all kinds of answers. You're going to hear all sorts of answers. Now listen, you may hear some of our verses mixed in there. You may even hear the name of Jesus mixed in there. But you're going to hear all kinds 
of answers. Well, I want you to listen this morning. If you want to know what the gospel is, if you want to know what the good news is in a nutshell, it is this. The main thing of the main thing of the main thing is that Jesus, perfect, never having sinned, died. That Jesus was buried and that Jesus lives again as the resurrected Lamb of God and He alone is the Savior of sinners. You want to know what the gospel is? It is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus sacrificially for the redemption of sinners, period. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, back to the main thing, verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Now, notice again in verse 42, it's again in, in terms that the Gentiles would understand. He doesn't say the Messiah, but he, but he says the one sent from God as the righteous judge. Peter says here, he commanded us and he ordered us to preach. Remember in verse 33 when they say, we sent for you, and now we want you to tell us what you've been commanded to say. We sent for you, and now we want you to tell us what you've been ordered to say. Well, Peter's here talking, and he says, this is what we've been commanded to say. This is what we've been sent to testify of, and we are going to testify of this Jesus. We're going to be witnesses of this Jesus and his gospel. Verse 43, last verse. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, oh boy, listen, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. What a marvelous verse that is. Of him, all of the prophets bear witnesses that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Folks, we conclude this sermon. Let me ask you a question. Why does preaching matter? Why does the person of Jesus matter, the, the specific person? Why does his death and his burial and his resurrection matter? It is because, listen to me, friends, he alone is the only way that sinners can be forgiven. I want you to hear the good news this morning. And I want you to understand the good news today. And I want you to walk out here and I want us to celebrate the good news that we have today. Listen very carefully. The need of mankind, well, it's a different election. It's a different government. It's to go back to 1950. It's to bring somebody back that's passed on. We sure miss them. It's that we be self-realized and better people. It's that we do good deeds. I want you to hear me today. The, the need of mankind is a remedy for sin. You see, the world makes light of that. The world laughs that off. And the world tries to misdirect us. The world tries to mislead us. Listen to me. Do not be misled. Do not be misdirected. The need of mankind is a remedy for sin. You may boil it down to the basic level. The basic need of all of mankind is a remedy for sin. 
We need a Savior for sinners. That's the issue. Because here's the truth, in our sin, see, the world laughs at sin. The world doesn't want to talk about sin. There's whole churches say, that's not my deal. We're not going to discuss sin. But I want to tell you, in our sin, we are perishing. In our sin, this is what the Bible says, we are dead. In our sin, we are suffering, and we are suffering terribly the consequence of sin. In our sin, we are guilty before God. In our sin, we're condemned before a holy God. You can't even approach him. You can have no part of him. Oh, I'd like to know him. You can have no part of a holy God because of your sin. In our sin, we're hopeless. Oh, I'll get the job. Oh, I'll get it set up. Oh, things will work out, and then I'll have hope. No, listen, in your sin, you have no hope, no hope. In your sin, death is your final end. In your sin, you're going to be separated from God for eternity. In your sin, you'll spend eternity in hell. Our issue is not our self-esteem. Our issue is not having full plates. Oh, we'll give out full plates to everybody. Our issue is not having pockets full of money. Our issue is not that your health would never fade. Oh, I declare you healed. Listen, that's not the issue. Our issue is sin. Oh, but friend, I want you to hear me today. As terrible as the issue is, as grave as the issue is, listen, this is the good news that Peter walks in to deliver our Savior is greater. Our hope stands in Jesus, and we have a remedy for sin. His name is Jesus. Oh, that's the good news. Man, we ought not downplay that. That's the good news. Do you know in your sin you're stuck? Do you know in your sin you're dead? Do you know in your sin you're going to bear the shame and the guilt of your sorry, worthless sin? But in Jesus we are forgiven. We have a remedy for sin. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. And that, friend, is the main thing. Praise the Lord, a remedy for sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I have no hope outside of you. I have no way outside of you. I bear my guilt outside of you. I, I wear my shame outside of you. I have no future outside of you. I cannot have a relationship with you. Although I might look at you and gaze at you, I can have no relationship. But Lord, you loved us so much that in the fullness of time, you sent your only begotten Son. He came to redeem sinners. He came to seeking to save that which is lost, lost sinners. He came, he never sinned. Lord, and he goes to the cross, and there he pays the penalty for all sin, all of it's heaped on him. The shame and the guilt, the filth and the garbage, the regret, the rebellion, it's all heaped on him, and he pays for it. Settles it in his blood. 
dies our death, pays our penalty, was put in a grave. Lord Jesus, you were. Three days later, in victory, you walk out as the defeater of death, as the risen lamb, the payment for sinners. And Lord, you tell us, as you told that room on that day, that any person that would trust in you, that would seek your forgiveness, that would claim you as Lord, they will be saved. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. I worship the remedy for sinners, Jesus. Lord, I pray two things as we wrap up this service. Lord, I pray if there's one here that does not know you. I pray if there's one here and they're wearing the the guilt of their sin, they're sitting under the condemnation of that sin, if they're sitting here in hopelessness, stewing in death, Lord, I pray that today their eyes would look upon Jesus, my Savior. Today they would find peace that the world can't give, that the world can't even understand. They would find redemption and restoration in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today in the preaching of your word, the drawing of your spirit, that today they might be saved. Move, remove any hindrance. Move, Lord, please. And then I pray for us here as those that are redeemed, those that are saved. Lord, I pray that we would be sickened again by our sin. I pray that we would be excited as never before for a Savior for sinners. And I pray that we couldn't be silent leaving this room and that we would each preach and proclaim there is a Savior, Jesus saves. Lord, empower your church. Bless your church for that cause. And I pray in both of those things that that Savior, that Lamb, our Lamb, would be greatly glorified. Lord, we give this to you. I pray again, trusting it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.